This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. As the kids make their way out to the class, take your Bible, go to Acts 17, or 17, Acts 7. Better get it together. I've got to preach a whole sermon. Acts 7, Acts 7 this morning, if you would. Uh, so we are in the middle of unpacking this sermon preached by Stephen uh, to Caiaphas, the high priest, and others, religious elites that were surrounding him. And last week we did a good portion of this text, and this week we're going to land that plane. I started out last week by uh, telling you about things we should never resist, and I thought I would add to that list a little bit this morning, things you should never resist. Uh, never resist someone offering you a breath mint. Can I give you that counsel? If someone comes to you and says, hmm, you need a breath mint? Say yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have learned never to resist my wife's honey-do list. Uh, my brother's in town, Jason. It's good to have you here and his wife, Maria. Awesome to have them here. Um, and uh, uh, I love my brother dearly. We pick on each other a lot online because that's what brothers do, but he has had a hard road, and God has blessed him with a wonderful wife and a lovely family, and he loves the Lord, and she loves the Lord, so excited to have them here. But to prepare for them, Courtney had a honey-do list for me, and uh, um, I knew very well not to look at the list and say, you know what, nah, you got this, babe, you go, I'm going to go play some video games, right? I knew not to do that. Somehow in 25 years, she's trained me well, not going to resist a honey-do list. Now, I say all of that because, of course, the thing we never want to resist, never want to resist, listen to me, we never want to resist God, which I believe is the point of Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. The point of the sermon better be the point of the text. And so the point of the text is really found there in verse 51. This is kind of the conclusion. So let your eyeballs fall on Acts 7.51. This is the conclusion of Stephen's sermon. He's preached all about these Old Testament uh, stories uh, leading to this. Uh, verse number 51, he says this, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And of course, the clear application, the clear message to us is, let's never be like that. Let's never be people who resist God. So if we can make this our big idea again for today, let's stop resisting God because it's easy for us to, in some way, shape, or form, resist God's leading in our life, resist his word, resist obedience to what he wants us to do. So let's stop resisting God. Now, last week, we unpacked this truth, the reasons for resistance, and we just went back through all these stories that Stephen shares here, and we kind of learned from them, why did these folks resist God? What was behind their resistance? And we saw Abraham in the first part of the text, and God had told Abraham to get up. He said, leave your homeland, and he said, leave the land of your kindred and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And the text says he went as far as Haran, and he lived in Haran. And that word live means he dwelt there. He, he made a camp there. He set roots there in direct resistance to what God had told him to do. Well, why? Well, it says then after his father died, then God removed him. See, that family attachment was keeping Abraham from doing what God had told him to do. And he was resisting God as a result of family attachment. My challenge to you is don't do that. Don't let family trump God. Family comes after God, always God first. 
We also saw in the story of the patriarchs, starting in verse number nine, the brothers of Joseph were very jealous of uh, Joseph. See, God had given Joseph dreams, and these dreams were that these guys would bow down to Joseph, and it's hard for an older brother to bow down to his younger brother, isn't it? So anyway, uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I threatened him to bring him up here and make him kneel. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But that's hard to do. And so, and so because, listen, because of their jealousy, because they, they were of jealousy, they resisted, they resisted God's message for them because God had given Joseph those dreams and they resisted it. Has jealousy ever made you resist God? Like you're looking around and you're saying, these guys are doing great and here I am struggling. These guys have it all and they don't even love God. Here I am trying to serve God, trying to do what God wants me to do and, and this happens, trial happens and that jealousy can make you doubt God and resist God. And speaking of doubt, another um, reason why we may resist God is because of doubt. Because then you get down to the story of Moses and he kills the Egyptian and he buries him and declares himself as a deliverer and they doubt that he's a deliverer. But Stephen makes the point to say, no, this was God's deliverer. And they were doubting his status, his calling as deliverer, and their doubt led to resistance. And then lastly, around the foot of Mount Sinai, we saw that they loved the idols they made with their hands. And they loved the idols that were worshipped with pleasure instead of worshipped with loving obedience. And so they worshipped because of pleasure they resisted God. So we saw that. But here's what I want you to see next. I want you to see the deeper root. There's a deeper root here. So let's investigate the text a little bit more. Let's see the deeper root going on that I believe will lead you to resistance more than we may even realize this root. Listen to me. This root can lead to resistance. And I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that at some level this root is in all of us. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves resisting God as a result. And it's found here. I want you to first of all notice, if you will, let your eyeballs fall on verse number 41. Verse number 41. And we're going to catch a phrase here that uh, Luke records Stephen using several times in the text. So here is, is Acts 7.41, which says this, And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol. Here it is. And were rejoicing in the works of their hands. They were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Now watch this phrase. In verse number 48, check out verse number 48. See, uh, what happens is Stephen begins talking about the temple. So he's already defended Moses. Their two accusations were he's against Moses, he's against the temple. Well, he showed them he's not against Moses and what he said about the patriarchs. But now in verse 44, going down, he's talking about the temple. But he ends that by saying this in verse 48, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Did you notice that? Again, verse 41, they rejoiced in the works of their hands. And then here's now Stephen saying, but God doesn't dwell in a house made with hands. We love to rejoice in the work of our hands. Look what I did. Look who I've become. Look what I've achieved. We love to rejoice in the work of our hands. But God hates it when we rejoice in the work of our hands. The temple was not about men, and this is what Stephen's point was. 
Right, so Solomon had made the temple, and he made it grand, he made it glorious, he made it massive, he made it ornate. Why? Because he wanted to show how amazing his God is. And the temple's purpose was to show how amazing God was. But the Pharisees came in, and can you imagine being a Pharisee, and you come walking into the temple? Imagine being Caiaphas, the high priest, come and walking in the temple in your priestly robes, and you come walking in, and people were like, oh, the high priest is here. Oh, look at the high priest. And all of a sudden, the temple wasn't about the praise of God anymore. The temple was about the praise of men. Where God knew, because Jesus came and said, right? This is why Stephen was accused of this. Jesus came and said, I'm going to tear down the temple and rebuild it. Because the temple wasn't about the physical temple. It was about the presence of God. It was about the presence of God. But they made it about themselves. God is clear. He does not dwell in a temple made with hands. Now, question, do we have the tendency to make God's temple more about us than about God? Okay, let, me, let me ask you this What's the temple today? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Can we make the temple more about us than about God today? I wonder if, if it's possible to run a marathon without having to put one of those 26.2 stickers on your car. Is it possible to do that? You've probably heard this. Uh, how do you know if someone's doing CrossFit? Just wait. They'll tell you. <laughs> I pick on everybody else, but i got to be honest. Like a few years ago, I did a, tri- a triathlon. So, you know, triathlon, you swim, bike, run. And uh, I'd love to tell you that, no, I was just so pumped about my own health that I really, but, but reality, I, I wanted to be able to post online that I did a triathlon. What I never said to anybody, but will admit publicly to you now, I walked most of the run, okay? I mean, I did. I did the swim, I did the bike, but, you know, it was that, hey, look at me doing triathlon, you know? We love the admiration that comes from men. And maybe you're like, you know what? I'm not really all about that, really? How often, and this is common, this has come up several times in the last several weeks, months, years in my counseling ministry. How much time do you spend on how much you fall short? How much time do you spend on, oh, I'm not what I should be. Oh, I'm not there yet. Oh, I'm not as great as I want to be. I'm, you know, it is in putting your hope in a future version of yourself. A question, does God not accept you for how you are right now? Because my Bible says, while we were yet, church, sinners, Christ died for us. Is it really, are we so down on ourselves because we're worried about God not accepting us? We're so down on ourselves because we're not who we think we should be so that others will be impressed with who we are. Church, whenever we attempt to take for ourselves the glory that belongs to God alone, we are in dangerous territory. Saying it again, whenever we attempt to take for ourselves the glory that belongs to God alone, we are in dangerous territory. And how many pastors, good pastors, have started out for the glory of God, for his name? And somewhere along the way, maybe they've got some success and they've got some fame and they've got some some notoriety and somewhere along the way it changes. It's no longer about the name of Jesus Christ. It becomes about them and their name. I've seen it over and over again. 
And I've been close to some of these guys who've gone through that and watched that happen and been shocked by the fact that, oh, really, that reveals something. When the heat is on and the reaction to that is not like Christ. They're not really living satisfied in Christ because they want it for their name. But God is really, really clear about this. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will give to no other. And I want you to really ask yourself and really contemplate in your heart how much do you do so that others can see it? Can you eat a keto salad without posting it online? Can you do that, please? Kale's nasty and everybody knows it. Thank you. And I got to fight it, man. I got to fight the desire not just to be a good pastor, but to be one of the best pastors. And everyone knows I'm one of the best pastors. And I hate that in my heart, but it's there. But, but it's not just pastors. Maybe you're driven by being one of the best car salesmen, one of the best ballet teachers, one of the best moms, one of the best dads. Or how about your service in the church? Can you do children's ministry or worship team or whatever for your own glory, not God's glory? Can we do that? So let me ask a couple of questions here of us. Here's one. Do I serve in the church because I love Jesus or do I serve in the church because I want others to see how much I love Jesus? How often do I spend mental energy discouraged about how I'm not enough as I am forgetting that Jesus was already enough in my place? You know, here, here, here's, a, here's an assignment for you. This week, whenever your heart begins to wander to, I'm not enough, or I'm not good enough, or I haven't achieved, would you just stop that and just run over to Jesus and to remember he was already enough in your place, and he is glorious, and he loves you. Now, let me say, here's the magic behind that. We think that beating ourselves up and feeling stupid and all that will motivate us to actually be better. The reality is living life loved and living life in the joy of your salvation. Jesus Christ is the answer for you to actually live better too. It's a, it's a win-win. So get in the Jesus track, do it, and be very careful about seeking the approval of man because Paul asked a church in Galatia, Galatians 1.10, he said this, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I'm still trying to please man, I cannot be a servant of Christ. Let's repent of that and let's move beyond that. We love to rejoice in the work of our hands. God hates it when we rejoice in the work of our hands. Let's get on the right track because there is a result to resistance. We see the reasons. We saw that last week. This morning we've seen the root. And now I want to focus a bit on the result of resistance, the result of resistance. I want you just to glance down at verse number 54. As you're looking at verse 54, whenever we hear truth, we can have one of two reactions to truth. We can reject the truth and we can receive the truth. Let's see what they do. Here is Acts 7, 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were, what does your Bible say? You ever been mad? You ever been enraged? I, uh, I was trying to think. Uh, Courtney will attest to this. I don't get mad very often, so I had to think pretty hard about being enraged. And the things that came up in my mind that get me mad are a little embarrassing, but like when I get home from McDonald's and they forgot to put the fries in my bag, I'm mad about that, okay? All right? It makes me mad. Uh, I, probably the, the worst is when I'm in the car 
Okay, listen, uh, Illinois Road, uh, it, you know, once it passes Hamilton and you're heading here out, out of town, once it passes Hamilton, it becomes 55, 55 after Hamilton, not 40, not 45, but people always drive 40 on that road. Do you hear the rage? And, and I'm telling you, it's frustrating. Listen, right now, raise your hand and promise me, if I ever drive ha- uh, Illinois Road past Hamilton, I will go 55. Okay, can you do that? I have been tempted to put a bullhorn in my car to be able to say, Listen, pal, it's 55. And love Jesus. You know, I mean, it's when... Thanks for that, Jason. Anyway, that, that was a, a temptation. Uh, uh, um, but, but, but that's all silly, silly things. I, I don't know that I've been enraged any time recently. But look, look at this. Look, they were enraged. And, and the Bible says they ground their teeth at him. Um, uh, that, that's really a, as Drew pointed out several weeks ago, uh, that's really a colloquialism. That, that's a, an expression to me. They just, uh, but it gets worse. But watch this. But watch this. Look at verse number uh, 56. I'm sorry, uh, 57. 57. Look what they did. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed to gather him. Do you know how extreme that is? Now, let's try it this morning. So um, uh, let's just pretend that you guys are all Coke people. And I'm a Pepsi guy. I really am a Pepsi guy. Let's pretend you guys are all Coke people, and I'm a Pepsi guy. And I'm going to declare Pepsi is better, and I want you to, to, to have that reaction, okay? So you're going to stop your ears, and you're going to react with a loud voice. Let's just see what this looks like. Hey, Pepsi's better than Coke. No. Yeah. <laughs> a little weak, okay? They were like, no! And they closed their ears, and they yelled with a loud voice. Then what they do? They rushed him. Verse number 58. Verse number 58. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They killed him. Pull one of these guys aside just a few days before that and say, hey, in a couple days, you're going to get so mad at somebody that you're going to scream really loud. You're going to cover your ears. You're going to run at him. You're going to grab him and you're going to kill him. They'd be like, no, I wouldn't do that. But they did. This is what happens when, remember, two reactions to hearing truth. I can either receive the truth or I can reject the truth. And if you reject and you reject and you resist and you resist, listen, unchecked resistance leads to surprising wickedness. Unchecked resistance leads to surprising wickedness. You may be here saying, oh, that's not me, that's not me. No, it is all of us. You probably saw this in the news, and I, I got to be honest, I haven't read a lot of these stories because I haven't really wanted to. But uh, Joshua Duggar was recently arrested because of possession of child pornography. And if you know the story at all, he used to be part of that 21 kids and counting the Duggar family. And there's a Christian family tried to raise their kids in a sheltered environment and keep them safe from the things of the world. And, and I, I applaud the heart. They, they love God, it seems. And, and, yet, and yet, I wonder how often Joshua Duggar resisted, 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 to the point where one of the investigators said that this is the worst case of child pornography has ever seen. And I don't even want to know a hint of what that's all about, but it's what pornography does. Do you know this? 
there is a chemical release in the brain when someone looks at pornography for a long time. There's a chemical release in the brain that happens, and that chemical release becomes addictive. And what that what happens with that is is what used to give you that high no longer gives you that high. So you got to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and it leads to surprising wickedness. There's a, a quote that says. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I don't know who the originator of that quote was, but interestingly enough, as I was Googling that quote, it was attributed to Ravi Zacharias. Where are you at? And maybe your thing isn't pornography, okay? You got a thing. You got a sin struggle. You got a difficulty you're dealing with. And you can resist. And you can resist. What we believe is we believe that that thing is really going to bring us some kind of joy and happiness and satisfaction. We believe that. And we believe it. And we doubt that God is really enough. And so we keep going after that adoration. And remember the, the four things we typically do comfort. Pleasure, significance, security, and we run to these things, we run to these things. So what do you do if you're finding yourself on that pathway? What do you do with that? Well, let's lastly consider this then, our response to resistance, the response to resistance. When you hear truth, you have one or two responses. You can either reject it as they did or, or, or you can receive it. And I want to show you what receiving looks like. Now, I can't really show you from the text, in this specific text, because they didn't receive it. They rejected it. But I want to show you this. There's a clear message all throughout the book of Acts. It's repeated over and over and over again. We see it frequently coming up in the book of Acts, what we're supposed to do uh, when we hear truth, and it's found in uh, several verses. So uh, the truth is repent. Uh, the message is repent. So so when truth comes our way, and, and, and it comes up again, against our sin, church, what should we do? We should repent. In fact, let me show you this from Acts 2.38. And Peter, in fact, whenever that word comes up, will you just say it with me? I want to just really get this clear in our heads. And when Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so now uh, that was there when Peter is in the temple, and they heal the lame guy, and, and the, crowds, uh, the crowds gather at Solomon's portico, and, and, and he's going to preach to them. And here's what he preaches. This is Acts uh, 3.19. Uh, say it with me. Repent. Therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. I really should have put verse 20, because verse 20 says that times of refreshing may come to your soul. And repent. Repent is what we should do. Repent is what we should do. Now, I need to remind you a little bit of what repentance is and what repentance means. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Grant. You're just so handy. Come here, buddy. Love you, dude. Um, so repentance is, uh, I'm walking a certain way. I'm walking a certain way. And then the truth of God's word hits me in the head. Oosh, and the truth of God's word hits me. I didn't mean to hit you that hard, so I'm sorry. Uh, the truth of God's word comes face to face with that. <laughs> Don't call child protective services, okay? I didn't mean to do that. All right. So anyway, boom, he hits it in the head. And, 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 and what he does is he turns. Look, he turns. And he walks a different direction. Do you see that? That's Repentance. God's word, I'll do it to myself, hits me in the head. 
and then you, you turn. It's more than just feeling guilty. It's way more than just feeling ashamed. Do you know that feeling ashamed about your sin could really be the same root of the adoration of men? I'm ashamed I was caught. I'm ashamed they know. I'm ashamed that people, my true heart has been revealed and now people know about it. Please be ashamed that a holy God knows. Shame. It's more than that. It is a turning. It is a turning away. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm doing something different. I'm going a different direction. Hey, if pornography is the struggle, look, maybe some computers got to go bye-bye. Maybe some phones need to be crushed to say, I never want to do it again. I never want to go at least some software installed to protect yourself and your family from that stuff. Something to turn and go the other direction. Hey, if adoration is your thing, man, I love the approval of men. I love the approval of men. Then get off of social media. Take an extreme step to turn and walk a different direction. That's repentance. It has to be walked out. It's a new thing. But here's what's awesome and glorious and wonderful. It's not just turning from something, but it's running to something else. And running to something so much better. Man, the adoration of man never will satisfy your soul. Right? I mean, think of this. I mean, if I was just skinny Jamie again, like, you know, I see pictures of myself when I was married, and I'm like, that was skinny Jamie. And not just skinny Jamie, maybe I can become buff Jamie. So I'm going to work out, I'm going to get skinny, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to like, here I am, eating keto salad and all buff. Let's check that out. And people are going to be like, oh, I like that, I like that, I like that. Let me comment, you look good. And I'm like, yes. Oh, that satisfies my soul. Will it satisfy your soul? It'll never be enough. I've just seen it over and over again. People actually getting their dream and their dream leaving them really, really unsatisfied. But here's the good news. Here's the great news. Jesus does satisfy the soul. And walking close to Jesus Christ is the very thing your soul longs for. So, man, I'm not saying repent from something good. I'm saying repent from something, something destructive and run to the greatest. Run to Jesus Christ. Listen, God wants us to put away our anemic, weak, ineffective pursuit of soul satisfaction and self-glory and to run to the arms of the one who really satisfies your, your soul. He wants you to run to Jesus. Never reject him. So what is it for you and your life? What do you need to turn from and what do you need to run to? What are you looking for that soul satisfaction and how can Christ help? I love what C.S. Lewis had to say. It's a common quote, but it really fit this morning to say we are half-hearted creatures. <laughs> Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy, isn't it so true? Infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant, uh, to, uh, um, meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased and we are now here's what really helps make that turn 
And that is when you just remember what Christ has done for you. And what we need in our lives are just opportunities to remember Christ and remember his sacrifice. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a moment. We're going to observe the Lord's table together. Yeah, Darren, would you come up, bud? And we're just going to have a time of reflection and remembering, time of praying and repenting that will lead us to a time of worship and joy in the fact that Christ is enough. So if you reach down in front of you, you're going to find, uh, for most of us, you're going to find one of these. And uh, I have some really good news. Uh, after today, we'll be all done with the styrofoam communion wafers. Can I get a witness? Yes. Praise Jesus. Uh, but some of you in the back uh, who don't have them, the ushers are going to pass out uh, actual communion. So uh, this is the only time you'll ever be rewarded by sitting in the back, just so you know that. All right. Uh, but I want you to get this in your hand. Here's what I want you to do first off. Oh, two things I want you to think about as you observe communion today. Thing number one I want you to think about is, listen to me, sin is no small thing. The desire to receive glory that belongs to God alone is no small thing. The pursuit of pleasure outside of Christ And in the things that God has forbidden, it's no small thing. It was so serious that God the Father sent his only son to be beaten, to be broken, to bleed, and to die for that sin. It's no small thing. Let's stop dallying around with things we need desperately to repent of. So right now, take a moment. Bow your head. Ask the Father to reveal to you what it is in your life you need to turn from. You have a choice in this moment. Am I going to reject it again and not repent? Or am I going to receive and repent? And you can begin that right now as you pray to God. Take a moment. Lift that thing to God. Let's do it together. Father God, I repent. I repent of the times when the adoration of other people just captures my heart. And I find myself doing things that I hate it when I do, name dropping. I hate it when I do that, but I do it. God, I hate it when I, in my own heart, compare myself to other people pastors and other ministries and I feel less about myself because of some perceived success that they have and all I'm doing is Father focusing on my glory and my thing and I hate it when I do that and I repent of that again God forgive me for finding pleasures and things that are outside of you because you're so much better than anything else I repent of it all 
again. And Father, I just pray for the congregation this morning that whatever you've laid on their heart, that, Lord, they will not reject, they will not reject resistance to your truth can lead to surprising wickedness. And I would pray, Father, you would keep them from that, please. And thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. The second thing that I want you to think about this morning, second truth I want you to land on, not only is our sin no small thing, God's grace is no small thing. <laughs> and the Bible says in the book of Romans, that Romans 5, when our sin abounded, do you know the rest of it? Say it. His grace abounded all the more. His grace abounded all the more. And I don't want you to leave here burdened by your failure, your lack, or all of that. What I want you to leave here is rejoicing in the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the love of our God. That you remember again his steadfast love. You remember again his endless mercy. And that you would rejoice in the fact that again you're forgiven and find in your soul times of refreshing because he is so gracious. I want you to spend your week this week not focused on your failures, but focused on Jesus. Not dreaming about the someday you, but just relishing in the very present this day, Jesus Christ. Would you take a moment right now and pray? have a time of worship that though you are not enough Jesus was enough in your place just worship the fact that though you were not enough Jesus was enough in your place and worship him even right now Father, you know that I've been praying all week about this time and communicating these truths because, Father, it's just something that I thought I had when I was younger, even four years ago, thought I knew better. But the longer I live, the more deep I see my desires for my own thing are and how much better just being with your son, just being with Jesus is. So, God, I pray that to whatever level you can, would you just reveal to the hearts of all of us that Jesus is better. We thank you for your grace. God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a broken body and spilled blood that Father has earned my righteousness for me, has given me forgiveness in you. Thank you for the gospel. With this we pray in Jesus' precious name. If you would push down on the little tab here to release that top cover and then just peel that top cover back and get the representation, the representation of the broken body in your hand. This will not earn you salvific righteousness. This is simply a remembrance of what he has done, a symbol that causes to mind the broken body of Jesus Christ. So let's worship him together. Now, peel back of the juice cup, if you would, please. A broken body and bloodshed because of my sin, but for my sin. And I now stand forgiven. Let's worship him together.
the one message I want you to leave here with for sure is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So we're going to go back to that song we sang during the worship set. And we're going to ask God to do what the song says. Because I love how the song goes. Jesus is better, but make my heart believe, right? Because today it's easy when we're here together and you can see it and you feel it. And we know Jesus is better, but how about tomorrow? Okay, how about the next day when we're out in real life? It's harder to believe and think because the old habits of thinking and feeling come into play. And so we're just going to pray and offer it up to God. God, make my heart believe Jesus is better than my sorrows, than my victories, than all riches. Jesus is better. So let's stand and let's sing this together. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Sing it out now, Mom. He's the best of it all. Our security, our love, our hope, our joy is in Jesus. But, Father, tomorrow our hearts are going to doubt. We're going to fall back into the traps of thinking we typically fall into. And we need your spirit to remind us. We need you to work in us and lift us above all of that. So not only will we know in our heads that Jesus is better, we'll feel it and believe it in our hearts and our actions and our lives will reflect that. And, Father, there's still repentance needed of anyone here. They know they need to turn.